Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile. Hello and welcome to My Property World. I'm Will Mallard and I'm joined once again by the delightful Christine Genoway. <laughs> you haven't Very met welcome, me in person. Christine. <laughs> Thank you. As I was saying, you haven't met me in person. Don't say delightful until we've met face to face. Now, Christine, uh, as well as being a comedian, is a chartered <laughs> surveyor, uh, a fellow of the Royal Institute, uh, no, no less. Um, she's an investor in her own right. Uh, these days primarily on the commercial side of things and um, we, we might get you on to, to talk about uh, why you've, you've moved largely away from the residential side in recent years mm -hmm. but uh, she also runs a uh, residential lettings and management and she's on the acquisition uh, trail at the moment <laughs> so if you're selling one uh, get oh, in yes. touch absolutely um, now her specialization revolves around a, a couple of areas, but basically uh, commercial valuation, uh, and particularly around commercial leases. She, she also does some consultancy on residential leasehold, um, but her, her, uh, I suppose the core of her career has been focused on uh, that commercial lease aspect. Now, we're going to uh, go into a bit of detail today about commercial leases, um, how they work, and into a bit of detail uh, about the risks and rewards uh, when, when done well or, or not so well. So, Christine, um, maybe let, let's start with uh, the commercial leases. Well, what, what's the the main structure of a commercial lease uh, and you know the parties for example yeah sure so a commercial lease generally has two parties uh basically the landlord who would normally be the freeholder and then the tenants the commercial occupier you do sometimes get three um parties where there is the freeholder and then a long leaseholder who would be if you were the commercial occupier, say, who would be your landlord and then you as the commercial occupier. Um, if you're the investor, you may be the freeholder or you may be the long leaseholder in either. So that's a bit more unusual, but not uncommon. So then you have the actual terms of the lease. Now, it's important to remember that commercial lease is like any other contract. It's a contract freely entered into by two parties. Um, but there are certain things that you have to have in there and if they're not in there, the court will put them in there, whether they're in there or not. So a bit like an AST, there are certain terms that you can't opt out of. Um, but the basic terms 
are obviously the property. So the definition of the property, if it's the whole property, generally that will just be reference to the title of the landlord. So you might have attached um, the land registry title document and plan and any rights that the landlord has will be passed to, to the tenant. So rights of way, say for fire escape and all that type of thing. If he has or she or they have those, then they will be passed to the tenant if the whole property is demised, is the technical term, led. So, um, or it may be that it's just part of the property of a multi-layer property, um, in which case it'll generally be defined by way of a red line drawing, which basically a scale, hopefully scale, not always, <laughs> a hopefully scale drawing, of the building, sometimes all of it, so just sometimes the bit that's actually demised to the commercial tenant with a red line around it. Um, what you've always got to bear in mind with red line drawings, whether they are of a floor in a building or just one room in a building or indeed of the whole site is that because they are small plans, the red line on the ground, if you actually reproduce it on the ground will probably be at least three feet wide. So you've always got room for argument there. But putting that aside for a moment, generally leases of the whole building are full repairing and insuring, i.e. the commercial occupier maintains, repairs and insures the building. And there'll be other clauses in there about how often they have to redecorate and all the rest of it. An important thing about that clause is that if you take a lease on a building as an occupier, and it's sort of maybe slightly, you know, dilapidated is a strong word but it's not basically in a massively good repair um if you take a lease that says the tenant will keep the building in good repair there's been plenty of court cases to say that that means put and keep the property in good repair so you can't just keep it as it is in order to achieve that you have to add a schedule of condition which sort of freezes the condition of the building in time. So if you're the occupier, then when you leave, and that might be a long time into the future, and the longer away it is, the less effective it is. But basically, you know, if the gutters were all broken on when you moved in, you don't have to fix the gutters. That's a broad way of explaining it. So you, the, the, there are key terms in the lease. There's the, um, the rent review clause. If the lease is longer than three or five years, generally there'll be a rent review in there. And there's all sorts of options for variables about how that rent review is going to be done, whether it's upward only, whether it's upwards or downwards, a variable review clause. Captain and Collard. Captain Collard, RPI. It can be all sorts of things. Um, and there'll always be a mechanism for resolving disputes. So if you're two surveyors, or even just you and the landlord, or you as the landlord and the tenant can't agree, then either it will be to independent expert or arbitrator. The important distinction there is an independent expert takes evidence from both parties, then goes out and finds their own evidence and then makes a decision which you're bound by. An arbitrator, a bit like a judge, they only look at what you show them. So if you've missed a bit of key market data that would have helped your case, they're not going to go out looking for that. They may know about it, but they won't take it into account. An arbitrator only looks at what you give them. Um, so that's the rent review. 
then there will probably be a restriction on what use the property can be put to. Older leases are quite entertaining, actually, because they say things like you can't run a tannery or a brothel or a, a house of ill repute or <laughs> all sorts of <laughs> random things that you can't do on the property. Oh, goodness. Um, generally, user clauses are fairly open these days. Um, they might refer to a use class. Obviously, they've all changed recently, so that's not very helpful. Um, or they might refer to a type of occupation, sort of financial services, say. Um, but the more open the user clause, the greater the rental value, because you've got more potential tenants. So, if if you if you're the um, the landlord, the investor, and your tenant is Fred Bloggs Estate Agent. There must be a Fred Bloggs somewhere. His name gets banded around everywhere, doesn't it? Fred Bloggs Estate Agent, which is a sort of... I think most people know him as Freddie. <laughs> which is, um, you know, say estate agent or, um, you know, hairdressers or whatever. Um, if you restrict it to that, then if, they're, if they want to assign their lease because their business isn't doing very well, um, then they are restricted in the people they can assign, sell their lease to because they've got to comply with the user clause or they've got to come to you and say, I want to change the user clause. And then you can ask them for money, obviously. But you're likely to get less rent on day one because of the, the more restrictive market that you put in that property into, if that makes sense. So why do user clauses are better from an investor point of view and from the tenant point of view? Because it keeps the flexibility on both sides and it actually improves the value for the investor. So then you have other clauses such as alterations. Um, can the tenant make structural alterations? Uh, hopefully not without getting your consent and sending you all the plans and the contractor's insurance and the risk assessment metastone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but generally, most leases would allow a tenant to do non-structural alterations without consent you know, putting up partitions and bits and pieces, nothing major, some things that can be re easily removed. And, and the, and the wording uh, around mm -hmm. all this stuff is mm -hmm. uh, of enormous significance. Um, yeah. I, I, I saw a, a contract just, just the other day where um, the, uh, the issuing or, or, or the, the landlord basically uh, had the right to um, demand a equitable contribution to uh, to the maintenance of a road. Yeah, yeah, service but, charges. But and there was clauses. no obligation for them to uh, maintain the road. Yeah, so, there's all so, sorts so of So you'd have to pay, but there was no obligation for them to do it or to do it in a particular time frame or to a yeah. particular standard. Yeah, you, you do not, get not a, not a good situation if you're the no. other. No, absolutely not. No, definitely not. Um, the other key um, sort of clause in the lease is the alienation provisions. And that by that, um, we mean the ability of the current commercial tenant to either assign their lease to someone else or to underlet their premises to someone else. Um, so there'll be all sorts of restrictions around that. Uh, assignment is generally allowed because they've paid, you know, they're paying rent for a fixed period into the future, hopefully if they don't go bust. Um, so the landlord 
um, will find a better tenant and, a, and get more rent on day one if, if assignments are allowed. Obviously, there's got to be checks into the financial standing. He might want um, uh, what's called an agar, which is like a, a warranty from the from the tenant leaving, etc. Um, but underletting is unpopular, and underletting is unpopular um, unless the underletting is done at the same rent as the occupiers, current occupiers' lease. So, you own an investment. One of your tenants has a shop. It's occupying the shop they pay £20,000 a year rent the shop's not doing very well or they want to retire or they've got another 10 years on the lease they say can we underlet our shop to somebody else as the landlord you're probably going to say yes but subject to certain conditions as per your lease one of which will be you can't let it for less than the £20,000 a year rent that you're paying because to allow them to do that would set a rental level for that property that you don't want anyone to see. Um, you certainly don't want your lenders to see it. And of course, all these documents are registered at the land registry and you would have to notify your lender. You don't want to have a tenant in paying £20,000 a year who can underlet but can only find a tenant who can pay 15 um, because that immediately devalues your property. So you absolutely would not want that. Um, in those circumstances, provided the property could be relet, And maybe there's an opportunity to sort of tart it up a bit and appeal to change the user clause in a new lease, appeal to different occupiers, get a better deal and maintain your 20,000 income. I would always advise, let them surrender the lease. Let's have a new lease with a new tenant, nice and clean. It won't impact on your investment value. And, and, um, sorry. Go, go no, on. no, no, carry on. You were going to ask uh, me Insurances. Um, yeah, if you've got the whole property, generally the tenant insures. If it's just part, the landlord insures and then reimburses proportionately, generally to the floor area of each tenant in a multi-let building. Um, the price of the insurance is always a bit of a contentious issue. Um, there's not much you can do as a tenant um, to challenge, as a commercial tenant, to challenge the amount of insurance the landlord's paying. You just never really know what's going on in the background. I mean, it's all very suspect if there's stuff going on in the background, but very little that you can do about it, unfortunately. Um, yeah, it's... And then, of course, you've got their managing agents fees and a multi-let building, which they're allowed to, to um, charge you. The other thing about a commercial lease is um, you can... All property leases are exempt from VAT. Residential leases are always exempt. You can't change that. But if you've got a commercial tenant, you can um, you can exempt yourself from the exemption. It's all you know, a bit backwards. But basically, you register an option to tax uh, with the VAT people. So then you can charge VAT on the rent and the tenant has to pay it. And if the tenant is not that registered, I'm afraid it's just jolly hard luck. They can't get out of paying it if you've if you've exercised your option to tax. Um, obviously you have to pay the VAT over, but it does leave you the opportunity to offset that, um, which you might not, which you wouldn't otherwise get. And you can charge VAT on the service charge as well. Um, some, I would say it's about 50-50. All the leases I've ever come across, I would say about 50-50 opted and not opted. 
Uh, there's no real, it, it's a business driven thing from the landlord's point of view. Um, and obviously, without knowing all the ins and outs of their business, you don't necessarily know the drivers for opting or not opting that. And, and typically, um, your, you, you get situations uh, where lenders are going to uh, look quite closely at, the, or, or at least their solicitors are going to look quite closely at the details of the lease. What, what, yeah. what are the key things that um, people should be aware of? Well, um, the key things are, sort of at a high level, to make your property as attractive as, as possible to the widest possible pool of tenants so that means keeping your user clause open not not narrowing it down so tightly um that you really you've only got like one tenant possible and if they don't want to well hard luck um you've got um the you want to have as an investor you want to have the the rent is obviously the rent but you want to have the other things that you're collecting reserved as rent, insurance and service charge, reserved as rent, very important clause in a commercial lease, um, because it means that if the tenant doesn't pay them, you can pursue them as if they were rent. And that's, I mean, we have to put a big caveat in here because at the moment, everything's completely different. Remedies have been suspended and extended and all sorts of things, but basically you've got a few choices as a commercial tenant. Uh, ten, uh, lease, uh, what am I trying to say? Freeholder or landlord, you can um, forfeit a tenant's lease for non-payment of rent. You can do walk-in possession. You can you can get the bailiffs in. There's all sorts of things you can do. Um, and if you reserve insurance on service charge as rent, they might pay the rent and not the service charge. You can use those measures for non-payment of service charge. If you haven't reserved it as rent, you can't. So then you're back to normal debt collection methods, which can be a bit trickier. Um, the forfeiture and the walking possession and the bailiffs and things were all nice and quick and easy. I, um, when I was acting for an institutional investor, this is quite a number of years ago now, I had a massive tenant. They were huge. They were a financial institution. They were massive, okay. In a multi-led building, they had three or four floors in a 12-story building. And they hadn't paid the service charge. They just didn't pay the service charge. And I was in contact with the FD there and various people, and they they, they said, "Well, we don't we don't think we should be paid it. We think it's too much. We think it's this. We think it's that." And I said, "Well, look, you've got to pay it. That's it. It's reserved as rent under the lease." Oh well, you know, because they didn't understand what that meant. Uh, but they did when the bailiffs turned up three days later. Then they understood, and the bailiff came away with the check. So. You do have power if you reserve the service charge and the insurance as rent, in inverted commas, under the lease. It gives you the power that you need. Um, when it comes to service charges, there is an RICS code on service charges, which obviously all managing agents aspire to. <laughs> <laughs> um, not many succeed in <laughs> following every rule, dotting every I and crossing every T. Um, but there is an RICS code and it's very, very um, strict and it tells you exactly what you need to do. Um, and with commercial leases, similarly to residential leases for blocks of flats where you've got many blocks in an estate and one block might have six flats, another's got ten. You have 
different parts of that building or the estate that it's sitting in, which have different repairing, maintenance and insuring um, issues. And not all tenants pay the same amount to each one. So it, when you're setting up service charge, it's really critical that you get those things right on day one. So all your um, all the maintenance has to be set out, all the repairs, are, where, where things are going to be needed. Ideally, you want a planned maintenance program put in place for the next 15 years. That would be perfect um, because then you can smooth your costs out. You don't have peaks and troughs of unexpected, unplanned expenditure. Um, or, or you'd reduce those, presumably. Yeah. Um, and then you can then divide up the, the tenants into, well, these tenants have to pay towards that element of expenditure. Let's call that Schedule A. Um, they are, uh, these tenants and these other tenants have to pay into this other list, let's call that Schedule B, and then the percentage is appropriate for each. And then the service charge is calculated and collected. And it sounds hideously complicated, but it's all done by a bit of software. So it's provided you put the right numbers in at the front end, it all comes out of the back end, <laughs> so to speak, uh, correct. <laughs> Um, so the service charges, because otherwise you can spend half your life arguing about service charges, literally half your life. It's a thankless task. Um, and the important thing, not only about commercial leases, is where you've got vacant space, the landlord has to put in service charge share for that vacant space. So if he's got a 12-storey 12, 12 building and one floor is empty, he's got to put the money in the correct amount of service charge for that empty floor because if he doesn't there's not going to be enough money to pay the bills and it is a criminal offense to have an overdrawn service charge account it's just absolutely not allowed under any circumstances you cannot have an overdrawn service charge account because it's not actually your money as the landlord it's the tenant's money you're holding it or your managing agents in trust for the tenants it's money that they are liable to pay to maintain, insure, repair, uh, generally the insurance is dealt with separately actually. So maintain and repair the structure and the common parts and it can't go over all. and it's held in trust. So you can't just spend it on anything you want. Having said that, some do and they get away with it because it goes on the too difficult pile for the commercial tenants to sort out. But I've acted for a couple of commercial tenants in that capacity and We've now, to get it uh, when we were uh, mm. setting up uh, this podcast uh, offline, you mentioned a, a very good example um, from an advisory client. Um, would you mind oh, sharing yeah. that? Yeah, no, no, not at all. Okay, uh, so I, I had a, a re really good illustration. Um, okay, so I, I had a, a client who had a headquarters building. Um, which wasn't terribly nice. It was on sort of a business park, but it was all a bit down a heel. And they were building a couple of miles away a brand new HQ for themselves, which seems like a bit of madness nowadays because everybody's doing sale and lease back. But, it, but then they were building and they were going to keep it. They were going to own it. So due to all sorts of problems with the architect and uh, planning and goodness knows what else, this building was going to be late being delivered. Now, they had a break clause in their lease, one single break clause, which when they started the new HQ, quite handily, 
dovetailed with the date their new HQ was going to be finished and they could just exercise the break and they could move. Unfortunately, delay meant they were going to be homeless for three months. Um, so they asked me if I could negotiate with the freeholder to get them an extension. Now, this freeholder was extraordinarily difficult to deal with and their agent. They would say one thing on the phone and then another thing in writing. Um, I had one instance where um, we had a discussion. Um, the agent actually instructed their solicitors with the client approval on an arrangement we'd come to. And then he phoned me and said, oh, well, we're not doing that. I said, but you've instructed your solicitors. Oh, okay. So it, all sorts of things, all sorts of random things going on. Um, but I had to, I, I said to my client, look, we, this is a game. We have to play this game. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. So, you know, you have to trust me that I'll get you what you need. OK, they said. <laughs> so I went back to the agent. Um, he may even listen to this and think, oh, God, she pulled all right over my eyes. Um, and said, okay, obviously the break clause is this date. You know their HQ is not going to be ready. It's been on all the local papers. Um, but I found them alternative accommodation for that three months. So we will be exercising the break clause unless you give my client a rolling break. Um, they'll exercise the break clause and they'll just leave. And they had a schedule of conditions, so they wouldn't have had a lot of dilapidations. Um, and, uh, you know, it was... It was basically just um, a bluff. <laughs> um, and we did get the rolling break and they were able to breathe at that point because they were all terribly nervous, obviously, the board of the client. Um, we did get the break. They managed to finish their HQ. They moved. It was all seamless. They served their break clause and they vacated without any dilapidations because of the schedule condition. And um, I got a lovely email from the FD about a week after they'd moved in to say, oh, hi, Christine, we're all moved in. You must come and see us and, you know, for a cup of tea or something stronger. Um, I can't believe you managed to get that deal for us. And by the way, remind me never in capital letters to play poker with you. Because <laughs> 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 it was sheer bluff. I literally bluffed a losing hand. But sometimes it works. Yeah, well, well, well done on that occasion. Uh, so <laughs> listeners, take note if you're on the other side of a deal. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I'm a good poker player when it comes to this. Um, the other important thing about commercial leases are break clauses. Um, as an investor, you have to be um, quite canny about this because there have been a few court cases which have thrown massive spanners in the works. Um, a break clause can either just be, well, the landlord can break on giving six months notice, such, such, such a date, whatever, or the tenant, blah, blah, blah. But investors started popping little phrases in there, such as, um, and the tenant will give vacant possession um, when the lease is broken. Okay, And you think, well, that's fine, because we're moving out. Who cares about that? That's not what vacant possession means. Uh, bizarrely vacant possession now after uh, the riverside which is nhs case went all the way up the courts means every single thing that was the tenants has to be gone out of that building i actually um dealt with a vacant possession break for one of the big four banks about 18 months ago um it was a big office building in a northern city 
and they had a vacant possession break. They'd exercised the break and then they thought, oh, maybe we ought to think about, you know, moving now. <laughs> um, so we were literally having daily conference calls to make sure that everything was covered. I was driving up and down and up and down the M5, M6, thinking, oh, my God, this is just awful. Um, and we because the landlord was didn't want the tenant didn't want the bank to break of course they didn't they were losing a massively valuable covenant they were very unhappy about it um their managing agents were very you know, uppish about it all um we had to make sure that we complied with the riverside case and they'd put in a server room and they put in suspended floors, suspended ceilings. They put the toilets in because they took part of it as a shell. Um, everything, every last thing had to be removed, including. And I said to the landlord's manager, do you really need the toilets taken out? Surely when you find a new tenant, they're going to need some toilets. No, it's all got to go. We stripped that building back to a shell, literally. And I was on a call with the project manager on the Friday of the day of the break at five o'clock. She was just leaving, bless her. And she rang me and said, OK, this place is completely empty. There isn't a cardboard box. There isn't a nothing. There's nothing. And she was looking around and she said, oh, do you think we ought to take that uh, to let board out? Because the, the tenant, the bank had a to let because he wanted to try and sublet before he, they broke, you see, um, they broke the lease. Um, shall we take the toilet board out? And I went, oh, please, God, take the <laughs> because that will, they could go to court and say that that's frustrated the break. And that was another five years rent at like 200 grand a year. So nobody wanted another million pounds of rent. Today. Um, this is, both sides have to be really, really, really careful. A vacant possession break is a tricky thing to manoeuvre around nowadays. It didn't used to be, used to be common sense but it seems to have uh, gone right off the rails of common sense now. So, yeah, unless you can get the, unless the landlord and tenant can agree with what they don't, doesn't have to be removed. Because to my mind, taking the toilets out was just complete and utter nonsense. Um, but some landlords are just very, very, very awkward. So if anyone listening, has a business where you're in a commercial premises and you're thinking oh this doesn't suit us anymore but we've got a break clause look for those words vacant possession uh, and don't get caught a little word of warning okay. and it's um, a it's something that um people don't look at in detail often well, you can read a commercial lease but unless you're used to reading them and you know what all the little things mean um you won't understand the implications of what you're reading. I mean, you can read a clause that says the tenant will keep the property in good and tenant will be repaired. And you think, well, yeah, I can keep it like that because, you know, it's not very good at the moment. No, no, that's not what it means. It means put and keep. That's That's been inserted by a legal case, by a judge in a, in a binding legal case. So you have to know what it is that you're, it's a bit like, it's in English, but it's not English as we know it. The words might have different meanings. The implication of the words is not how you would normally interpret them often. Now, Christine, so you do your, have to be your own uh, uh, career background has been um, predominantly uh, in and around uh, valuation and uh, 
commercial leases, but you, you've got a um, a growing practice around residential leasehold. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, I, I think we might be just about out of time uh, for today, but with your permission, um, I, I'd like to invite you back on and we can drill into uh, the, the lovely stuff around ground rents and oh, yes. charges Some and maintenance. Topic. Aren't they? With a, a residential leasehold block. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's uh, it's all a bit of a minefield. But yeah, happy to do that. It's to me, you know, surveyors. We're a bit of an odd bunch. We're a bit nerdy when it comes to all this stuff. We think it's really interesting. Other people probably think, oh, yawn, yawn. But actually, you know, all the digging into the detail of all this stuff is, we find it fascinating. Yeah. And it's, it's sad, really, it's like isn't it? It's a highly <laughs> specialised area, and you know, yeah. as we're uh, we're hearing from you, that there's uh, enormous opportunity for both risk and reward, and on, reward. on each side, and the detail of the lease. Yeah, definitely. So, Christine, um, just to do a little plug for you and your business. Um, okay. Um, how might a interested party uh, find out a bit more, get in touch with you, uh, check you out? Yeah, sure. Um, well, the easiest way is to uh, just find my website, which is Christine Janaway. I'm going to say .com and .co.uk because... <laughs> you, you don't you look yourself up song. every day. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> and I've said .com a few times and then I thought, oh... Do you know, it might be .co.uk, but, you know, it will be .com by the time you listen to this, if it's not already, or vice versa. We'll have both. It's not a problem. Um, the, the, so either listen, of those two. Christine Janaway, you're, you're one of my favourite <laughs> uh, property professionals. Oh, so that's so lovely. A apart from Sue Maxwell-Smith, of course. Uh, of she course, must be your of, number of, one. Of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um, now, Christine Janaway <laughs> can be reached at christinejanaway.com. Yep. Christine, you're very welcome. Uh, Thank you very much hour. indeed. This is my property world and looking uh, forward to uh, another round with you at some stage on, on residential. Oh, uh, definitely. That would be brilliant. Thanks. Thanks so much, Will. Well, that's fantastic. Cheers now. Bye. Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile.